another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler It really doesn't matter Hi folks, this is Shaq Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it way differently today, because I'm actually in my home office, and I'm recording this podcast just about a week before you're going to hear it. Right now, I'm probably up in New York City, hanging out hopefully with Judge Andrew Napolitano, because you guys are great. And uh, got me on his show, and I thank you for that. But as always, when I travel, I do not like to leave you without a show. So I have a special guest with me tonight who's been grateful enough to come on with me. She's going to tell us about living a self-sufficient life up in Colorado. Before I do that, though, I want to go ahead and do my usual intro segment. Uh, number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers. Remember, our advertisers on our site are personal endorsements from myself. Uh, they're vetted by our moderators on the forum. Uh, so it's not just they show up with a check. So these guys are solid. You know you can do business with them. In fact, I do business with them myself. If I wouldn't, wouldn't put them in front of you. Uh, sponsor of the day number one today is Tea Party Silver, uh, located at teapartysilver.org. Beautiful coins. I can tell you I have them in my personal collection. Definitely something you should consider adding to your own. And also Directive 21 with Berkey Light Water Filters. Folks, water is one of the most important things you can possibly have in your survival and preparedness planning. We can survive actually quite a long time without food. Uh, not very long at all without water. Uh, next, make sure you get involved with our forum. We'll even talk a little bit about that with our guest here in a moment as she's uh, kind of a new member participating in our forum. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you'll, you'll make friends, uh, you'll, you'll form relationships, and you'll learn an awful lot if you get involved with the forum. We're all friendly. We have some basic rules, but those rules are designed to keep everything friendly for everybody. Uh, last but not least, if you think the show's worth more than 20 cents an episode, consider joining the survey. Survival Podcast Supporting Members Brigade, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. And with the introduction segment wrapped up, uh, I'd like to go ahead and introduce our special guest today. Uh, we have with us on the line this evening, Barb Harrington of Avarta, Colorado. Uh, Barb, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. I'm just really thrilled to be here, Jack. I'm, uh, we love your show, and we find it um, encouraging for us. I'm very thankful for all that you do, and um, I'm getting to know some of the people on the, the forum, and it just, they all seem like a great bunch of people and real helpful, and that's kind of what we were looking for. Well, I'm glad to hear it, and I'm glad you're with us. Um, folks, Barb's not hawking a book or anything. She's just a, a person like you. And in fact, guys, I'm, I'm just a person like you, as I always try to say, but I think since I'm on the air every day, maybe people lose sight of that. So I wanted to bring a guest on who's doing some things, and honestly doing some things in some areas beyond where I'm at. And, and Barb's got a great story. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of her and her husband's homestead up in Avarda. How'd you guys end up in the, that town? Did you grow up there? Did you move there? Or, or how'd that work out? <laughs> it's kind of an interesting story. We um, actually, I was. Uh, we had been looking at a farm clear out away from town, and one day my husband was coming home from work, and it was raining, and he was on his motorcycle, and he was kind of cutting through streets, and he came by this house, and it was for sale. He's flying home, and he says, "Get in the car." I found the house, or he says, "Get in the car," and I'm like, "Why?" He says, "Just get in the car." <laughs> 
okay, all right. And so we drive over here, and he said, I found the house for you, and I just, we've lived here since, and that's been 20 and a half years ago. Wow. So um, it, it's a great house. We have lots of lots of land, about a half acre, in, um, which in the city, that's, you know, that's a lot. <laughs> I think it's important for people to hear that and think about that, too. You said you have a half of an acre. So we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff you're doing, and I know there's going to be a lot of folks out there going to be like, well, I wish I had a place where I could do that. And a half acre is a good-sized lot. My lot here is a third, um, so that's bigger than I have. And my lot's a pretty big city lot. But it's not huge, right? I mean, you're talking about a typical American suburban lot. Right. It's, it's, um, you know, there's a front yard, and then there's all the driveway because we have no street parking, and then you know the house and the garage, and then I have a shop, and my husband has a shop, <laughs> and you know, and then down in the back is uh, a small backyard where our chickens are, and then we have um, our gardens in the back of that. So our garden is probably about a third of the whole land. Uh, it's not it's not huge, but it produces a lot of food. So you've got a half an acre lot. And you give up a big piece of it for a driveway, a big piece of it for the house, and a couple shops and a chicken coop, which is cool. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then only a third of that is left, right, uh, for the garden. And and about what kind of production would you say you get out of that little garden plot every year? <laughs> well, right now, and we're not even close to being done, um, I have, in the last week, I canned 90 pounds of green beans. Wow. Two more two more fences out there to do. Um, I dehydrated 22 pounds of onions. I froze and canned uh, corn, and that was about 65 pounds, and that was just the first first picking. There's more corn out there to be picked. Um, we've had some weird weather here in Colorado this year. It's kind of cold, hot, rainy, dry. It's just been strange. And then um, so I put 29 pounds of beef and 52 pounds of carrots, <laughs> 10 pounds of peppers, and, oh, by the way, I love your pepper idea of flash-freezing peppers. That was incredible. We, you know, where you take it and you put it on the cookie sheet and put it in the freezer, mm-hmm. that has been a real bonus. I have just loved that because usually I pack them, and then, you know, if you only want one, you have, you know, six or eight in a package, and then the rest of them are all glued together and yeah. frozen and Anyway, um, and then I've made... So you're talking about where you spread them out before you throw them into the bag. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's That's perfect. It's just such a good idea. Did did you try it with the bacon, like I was saying? Not yet. That's awesome. We will. That's on our list of things to do. Um, Yeah, we did did jalapenos that way. We did uh, poblanos that way and Anaheim's that way. Great. It makes it really nice for if you just want to pull them out for a sandwich or, you know, whatever you want to do with them. um, Very cool. And then we've had about 50 pounds of tomatoes, and that's the tip of the iceberg. Because um, <laughs> you're getting to the heavy, heavy harvest of those right now. Yeah, we still have, well, we got hailed out early, so um, we figured, oh, gee, we're done, you know. And so my husband went out and started trying to replant some things, and then some of the stuff came back. So we just have had a great garden. And, uh, I figure about 318 pounds of food so far, not including all the pickles I've made or zucchinis or stuff we've just eaten any of the lettuce we've had tons of lettuce and i even canned some kale or i'm sorry swiss chard and uh that turned out really good i'm gonna have to try that i haven't done that with chard yet and i always end up with some of it always gets given away or fed to rabbits or or something because it's always more than i could possibly use and i've not really found a good way to uh, preserve swiss chard um, so I'll have to give that a shot. That's a good tip there. So, I mean, that's quite a bit of food from a relatively, 
you know, small garden plot. And it's what I keep telling you folks. I mean, you, you don't need a, a lot of land. What you need is a, a plan and, and a commitment. And you're doing better than me this year, Barb, especially with the green beans. I think I'm about to get my my beans, but I have a ton of uh, purple pole and uh, Kentucky wonder pole beans planted. But it was so hot this summer, they just didn't produce. They're now... We had like two weeks of rain and it got cool and we've got like little beans everywhere. So I'm sure I'll be up to my neck in them soon. Uh, but glad to hear you're having a good year there. Uh, I also didn't have a good year with tomatoes. You're, you're sometimes, you know, you think up north, it'd be cool to be down south because you can grow right through to Christmas time. Um, but you're also not dealing with early and late tomato blight this year, I don't think, which has been a, a mess for us down here in the south. So you also have chickens, right? You've got a flock of like 10, 10 birds. Yeah, we've been raising chickens for, oh, I don't know, we've had them for probably 15, no longer than that, probably almost 20 years. And uh, we've always had just a small backyard flock. And the neat thing is is a lot of the cities are starting to loosen up their requirements to have chickens. Um, as long as we take care of them and don't leave them a nuisance or leave them be, um, you know, too smelly or too obnoxious. You know, our neighbors all, they love it. They hang over their fence, over the fence to see the chickens and <laughs> their neighbors, you know, their friends come or their family come and they're like, oh, look, they have chickens. <laughs> We're so, kind of the oddity on the block. So but, do you guys just keep hens or do you guys have a rooster heading yeah. the flock up or? <laughs> I have to tell you, um, one of your guest speakers here a couple weeks ago and I cannot think of his name at the moment, he was talking about his rooster, Sue. Yeah, that was Johnny Max. That's right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we had a rooster named Sue. I see. He lived up to his name. <laughs> and then we had Russell Crowe, and he didn't make it too long either because they're just obnoxious and loud. And in a city setting, it's kind of hard. You know, we have neighbors all around. Um, our lot goes way deep, and so we have neighbors along the sides of our garden and, you know, clear back. And so um, to be a good neighbor, it was just like, I don't know, he's got to go. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I also talked to somebody recently. They they decided they wanted a rooster in the flock, and they weren't going to let any of the eggs mature, and everything was going to be cool, and it would make sure that they had a rooster that fit in with the flock. And what they said happened is one day one of the hens just disappeared, just yeah. vanished. And they thought a fox or a raccoon or whatever got her. And about three weeks later, peep, 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 and here she comes back with a whole brood. And apparently she had figured out that her eggs were going to keep disappearing, and she got broody, and she went away and had her babies out in the... So next thing you know, they've got a whole bunch, and they got, you know, the guy said it wasn't that big a deal, because it was only one of them that did it, and there was like a half dozen of them, but he really wasn't planning on it, so it's something to think about if you're if you're thinking about a rooster there, but you guys use them mostly for eggs, though. You, you've had a couple stews, but not an ongoing thing, then you're not raising them basically for me. We raised meat birds one year. And I vowed never again. <laughs> now I may rethink that, you know, mm-hmm. as, as time goes on here. But we um, bought uh, meat birds from a, a place in, in Texas. And, uh, of course, we're high altitude here. And we didn't know that. And we had 50, 50 meat birds. And by the time we got done, I think we ended up butchering 17. Wow. At this altitude, they grow so fast that they're hard to Oh, that's just terrible for them. You don't want that to happen. Even if it's something that's planned for eventual, there's a there's a dignity there that you don't want to disrupt, and that's... And I just, I couldn't yeah. go out there and start to feed them, and they just kill over dead, and it's like, oh, I can't do this. I don't, you know, I don't mind butchering them because it's painless and quick, 
Yeah. Just to watch them just lay there and die. It's like, oh, okay. It's always seemed freakish to me, too, that those meat breeds grow so fast. It just doesn't seem... I remember reading an article, I think it was in Mother Earth News, by a lady that said that one of the birds that she had bought as a meat bird became, you know, one of these affectionate birds that would, like, run and jump in her lap. And she almost thought about, like, not doing it when the time came, like, saving that one. But she realized she had to because, like, it was just like the bird would be out of breath right, to run right. 10 feet. And they're just not meant to go on and keep living. It seems kind of weird to me. I'd rather, I think I'd rather wait a little longer. Everybody always gets on me because I'm a hunter. I'll go out and I'll shoot stuff. But, like, I'm really not big into, like, killing chickens that I keep in the backyard. Part of that's to keep my wife happy. She's not quite as open-minded as you, Barb. <laughs> well, you know, I've had, to, I've had to corner my husband a couple times, and it's like, okay, you know, he's out there butchering a deer or killing chickens. It's like, okay, we have neighbors, honey. We have neighbors. You have to just give them more degree. <laughs> One day he was out there butchering a, a deer, and uh, the neighbor beside him behind us, they, have, they had a little girl, and you know, I called, called over there and said, you know, Terry's out there doing a deer. I just want your little girl to see this. And he goes, oh, no, I think it's cool. She wants to come over. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it just depends on the person. And our daughter loved it growing up. She was like, this is fun. Can I poke the chicken skull bladder when we picture it? And <laughs> like, All right. I think if you grow up certain ways that, like, things just don't bother you. I was, you know, I'm a hunter myself. I grew up uh, with a whole family of hunters, specifically hunting deer. Uh, I, I was from the Pennsylvania area in those times, so uh, we were also big on hunting pheasants, uh, small game. Not like, you guys are blessed up there. You've got antelope, you've got elk, and you guys actually put a lot of that up every year as well, don't you? I do, yeah. Um, my husband butchers all of the animals ourselves, so we know how it's handled, and um, I help. Um, and we, actually, I can a lot of the uh, main meat. We make hamburger and freeze it. Um, I can, like, some of the roast. We save, like, some of the good parts for steaks. But, um, you know, if, you, if you've ever had, like, a cooked pot roast that's been cooking for days, it just is tender and falls apart. And that's what canned elk or canned uh, buffalo tastes like. It's just so good. Every time I fix it, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, this is wonderful. What is it, you know? And then you tell them, they're like, oh. <laughs> well, no, that's my family. They, yeah. they kind of, they don't want to eat here because we're going to poison them because we eat out of the garden and we hunt our own animals. And uh, <laughs> I'd rather do that than have the E. coli that's going around, you know, the hamburger in the grocery store. Yeah. So. Isn't it ironic that people are like that? There's a certain segment of the population that actually fears food that traveled 15 steps to your front door, uh, or maybe it was wild, but it was handled, and you know exactly where it started, where it ended, uh, the process, and, and but then they're not afraid of like this mass-produced stuff. It, it's really weird to me. What, what's kind of been your motivation well, for you and your husband yeah. to get where you are? Is it that? Is it a disaster preparedness? I mean, is it just self-sufficiency? Is it all of it? It's actually all of it. We started out just, um, you know, I never grew up around canning or gardens or, I mean, I never even got to go to the mountains when I was a kid. So um, I met my husband, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so first place we went to the mountains. And, uh, you know, we just, um, he has always grown as a garden, and it's always been nice to have that fresh food. And then over the years, it's just kind of evolved into we like to have that. It saves on our grocery bills. I mean, we figure if, if the stuff we grew this year, um, 318 pounds worth of groceries, if, if you take that times $2 a pound even, uh, you know, you get $600 worth of 
groceries that you didn't spend. And I can tell you that organic sweet and hot peppers are not two dollars a pound right. near it neither is organically grown lettuce or or even green beans good green beans are going to run you two bucks a pound and they're about the cheapest thing you can buy out of the store well see, we don't use any pesticides um i actually have systemic lupus and so i am really uh, i can't eat anything that has a lot of chemicals or additives or um food coloring MSG, and so a lot of it has evolved from us trying to do better to keep me healthier. And uh, you know, when I can it, it's so much fun because I can take it and you know, okay, I wash the the food and and you know, put in maybe a little salt, and that's it. You know, if there's nothing else in it, you know exactly what's in there. And if if something if you want something in there, you put it in there. If you don't want something in there, it doesn't go in there. And when you guys sit down at the table, you know exactly what you're putting in your body. And that is, that's a big thing for me too. I, I, what really got me, I don't know how you feel about this, but when I learned that there were genetically modified organisms in the food system, that, that they had made that leap and, and that they were putting GMO corn into foods that we were eating, it really, it really hacked me off. I, I was like, you know, a, a lot of this stuff we can debate whether it's bad for you or not. I don't know what's going to happen if you eat GMO corn for 20 years of your life. It might be nothing, but I don't want that risk taken. I don't even think most people are aware that that's in the food system now. The problem is people aren't aware, and um, you need to make yourself aware. It's really frightening what's in our food. Here's another example for you. Um, you know, I encourage people to cook from scratch, and I've been teaching some of my husband's, one of my husband's, friends, his, his little wife, you know, how to do a few things and to bake bread, you know, make your own bread. I mean, it's not hard. It really isn't. And it doesn't take that long because one of the ingredients that they use in uh, bread that you buy in the store is called L-cysteine. If you look at where L-cysteine comes from, the industrial source is human hair and pig bristles. What was the second part of that? Human hair and? Pig bristles. Pig bristles. Oh, that's great. Isn't that gross? And so, you know, for me, I don't want to eat that. <laughs> now, I, I'm trying to understand why they use this stuff. My grandmother made homemade bread the entire my entire childhood. I never once saw her throw hair clippings or pig bristle into the bread. What is the what is the reasoning there? What's Wonder Bread thinking when they're doing that? Well, it's supposed to make it rise and. It makes it rise. Isn't that what yeast is for? Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> gross. I'm, I'm like, okay. And when you start reading labels and you start seeing, you know, and you, you start looking at all the chemicals, you know, what are these chemicals doing? Are, is this the cause of why we have so many children that um, have ADD and ADHD and all these issues? Or is it the cause of why we have so many young people, young married people or young whatever, I guess don't have to be married, but that are struggling with fertility issues. Mm -hmm. There's just all of this now, you know, uh, that you didn't see 30 years ago. You know, I'm I'm in my 50s, I'll admit, (laughs) and uh, you didn't see this stuff back then. It's just it's it's almost frightening what's happening to people and how sick they're becoming. And uh, I think we need to fight back. I think we need to know what we have. And uh, the other reason I think that people should to bake bread. This is something I thought of, too. Is, you know, we had a blizzard here in Colorado a few years ago. Um, 
I don't know, maybe four or five. I don't remember. We've had so many of them. It's kind of like, uh huh, yeah, another blizzard. And we uh, couldn't get out at all. And finally, when we did, we went to the grocery store because I needed bread and milk. Mm-hmm. There was no bread, and I got the last quart of milk. And, well, besides that, the ladies, there were 100 people running through the store trying to find stuff, and there was nothing because, of course, the trucks hadn't got through sure. to bring supplies. And I'm thinking, wow, this is bizarre. And this woman, I picked up the last quart of milk, and she started screaming at me. You know, I need that milk. That's all the milk there is. And I'm like, look, lady. It's my milk. <laughs> and I just kind of was like, um, and finally my husband just took my arm, and we just walked out of there real quick. And this was a blizzard you guys had? Yeah. And yeah. see, that's what I keep telling people. All that was was one little blizzard. Right. right? It was only, And it only lasted for a week. And so, oh. you know, I mean, before they got the roads clear enough to get out. Yeah. But people don't realize, you know, there's not going to be dairy products. There's not going to be fresh fruit. There's not going to be bread. They're not. These things aren't going to be there if we have a stuff hits fan type situation. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And yeah. So maybe you have you know 50 pounds of flour sitting in your stash that you know yeah, I got flour. And that makes a lot of bread, man. And everybody else in the world lives that way right now, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're living in a third world nation, trust me, I've been there. When you're out of bread. You don't run down to 7-Eleven right. or Tom Thumb and pick up a loaf. Somebody starts needing some and takes the last. And a lot of the countries are doing the sourdough thing because you, they don't even have a ready supply of yeast. Right. So they're taking that last little piece from the last batch and throwing it in there. Right. So if you're, if you're storing flour and you think that that's going to save you, you better make sure you store yeast with it. You know, there's, you've got to think, and so you need to know how to do this now instead of waiting until Absolutely. it happens. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, bread is not a big deal. You can live without it. Yeah. But if you have a child at home, what's better than, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to kind of comfort them and, you yep. know, bread? So uh, I look at it that way. It's, it's have you tried my beer bread yet? I have not. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'll have to try that. So That's we my conversion process. I give people a piece of that, and they go, how do I make it? I say, you have to listen to my show before I'll give you the recipe. Because it's basically flour and beer. Right. A little bit of salt, maybe a little dash of sugar or honey, and that's it. I mean, so do you do a lot of, of uh, whole wheat, or do you do white bread, or both? Or? Some of both, and I even cook. I use, um, I'll add, like, flax seeds and cornmeal and mm. wheat flour and different different breads. I do a bunch of different kinds. I even bake my own uh, homemade uh, hamburger buns and things like that. So I Very cool. It's easy. You know, it really is easy, and if you're doing it on a regular basis, if you have to do it, then you know how, and it's not like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And the other thing I do is I can milk. I can milk and butter and cheese. Um, it's easy to do. It's so simple, you know, to can those products yourself. You're saving money, and it's like you can buy milk when it's cheap on sale, good quality mm-hmm. milk that's not full of yuck, and um, can it, and you can use it. You know, you refrigerate it. It's cold. It it works over cereal. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's really great to drink. It's a little thicker, but it's not bad. Sure. Um, you know, sure. I do have dry milk too, but I keep some cans that I can. And, and I love doing that mainly because how many? T- I don't know if you're a coffee drinker. I'm a big coffee drinker. And honestly, you know, like we have plenty of food, right? 
But if we didn't have either some canned milk or some dry milk, there's plenty of Saturday mornings where I had, and we don't go to the grocery store as much as most people either. We might go three weeks without going because we don't have to. And, you, and all of a sudden, you, you go in to get your coffee, and I don't put anything in coffee but milk, but dang it, I gotta have milk, and that non-dairy stuff, no, I'm not doing that. It don't taste right. And if you didn't have that, you're sitting there looking at black coffee going, dang it. <laughs> yeah. But if you got a can, you pop a can open or mix up a little bit of the dry stuff, and like you said, it's not the greatest drinking, you know, milk. And we drank a lot of it was in a box, but it was basically canned milk when I was in the army, mm-hmm. and when we were deployed, and it it wasn't, you know, you had to get it really cold, you know, <laughs> for it to taste good to be drank out of a glass. But with, you know, with cereals and things like that, or in coffee, it was great. So that's cool too. Now. Whenever I talk about modern survivalism, especially with the media, they always ask me, well, what is it? And one of the things that I always bring into the equation, and they always push to the side, and because I have some comments from you, I know where you stand up, but I want the audience to hear this. They always kind of push to the side when I bring up debt. And I say, you've got to get out of debt. You've got to be debt-free because when you're debt-free, you're independent. You have control of your own life, your own destiny. What have you guys done with that? Um, we have always looked that way. you know. Awesome. We went in to buy a vehicle one time, and we wanted to write them a check, and they would not take our money. <laughs> they thought it was just the most bizarre thing in the world. We're like, but we have the cash to pay you for this vehicle. And they actually called the manager over. Uh-huh. And, well, we couldn't give you a price because we want to know about finance. No, you misunderstand. We don't want to finance. We, we want to pay, pay you for it. You know, so we have always lived that way, but we don't play to keep up with the Joneses um, game. Uh, you know, if we have nice things. Our home is nice and mm-hmm. comfortable, but we're not into impressing everybody. Um, we have older, well, we have new new and old vehicles, and my husband has always maintained them. I, I never understood why somebody goes and buys a car, and then two or three years later, well, I need a new one, and turn that one in, and, you know, it's like, well, I needed brakes, and you know, needed new tires. <laughs> I'm sorry, you could have spent, you know, five hundred dollars. Yeah, you could buy a lot of brakes and tires with thirty thousand dollars, right? Right. And so I don't understand that thinking. So sometimes you have to make do with what you have and yeah. be creative on how you do things. And um, because you know, you cook if if you cook from scratch, you save money. Uh, we just have done that. We we've always been that way. My husband's always been a saver. Me, I'm not real good with money, so <laughs> it's a good thing that he's, we compliment each other. You know, That's great. Um, he is a saver, and he always has faith, and I'm so thankful now because, you know, 30 years later, we're in good shape. And we um, actually, one of the things we did way back when is when we first bought our home, we were young kids, and we didn't know anything, and we had an 18% interest rate on our home. <laughs> that was wow. in the early 80s. When well, 20 years ago, that's what you got, right? Yeah. Right, and so... We refinanced when mm-hmm. the rate came down, and then we refinanced again with a 15-year loan, and then we started slamming every extra dime to that principal. Absolutely. We paid off our house. And so um, at the time, you know, my husband's employment, they were going through some risks, reduction of workforce, and, and it was like, are you going to have a job? Are you not going to have a job? Let's pay off the house. At least we have that security. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you could go work at... Um, Lowe's or McDonald's or somewhere, and, you know, to pay for groceries and yeah. insurance, and we can get by, you know. And uh, so that's what we did. And um, was it one of the best days of your life when you got the title to your house? 
do ones, and it's nice because no one can take that from you. You know, they cannot take, anyone cannot take this. We own it, free and clear. We can't, we don't have a bank, you know, holding it over our heads. Um, the same for a bug out location. It's paid for. It's done. It's, you know, um, it's a constant improvement up there. We're uh, in the process. Of so you guys have a bowl then. That's cool. Yes, we do. Um, and we're putting, uh, he's in the process of, we're going to put a, a deck out in front and, and some other things to it. You know, as we, time evolves and we have extra sure. cash, we do more to it and, it's quite comfortable the way it is. It doesn't have electricity, which is fun. Um, my yeah. husband is very creative in, in finding things. Um, we're getting ready to put some solar in up there and uh, also thinking about putting some partial solar on our house here in town so that when the power's out, we can run. Uh, we have a wood, uh, wood pellet corn stove. We burn corn, mm-hmm. whole kernel corn in it, and it heats our whole upstairs of our house. And so... Um, we're thinking about putting some solar in to be able to run that and possibly freezer so that you know I don't lose what's in there. Sure, sure. That way, um, that part is covered. So I mean, there's some some ideas, but yeah, you know, the thing about debt is is you have to have a plan how you're going to get there. You can't just say, "Well, I want to be debt free." You know, sure. You, you don't go visit a foreign country without a travel plan how you're going to get to it. You need to sit down and think, okay, what can we do? You know, do we really need cable TV? You know, do we really need to spend that? Now, here in Denver, it's $65 a month for just a basic cable. Wow. You know, do we really need that? Can we get rid of that $65 payment and apply that someplace else and pay off, you know, a credit card with that? Or, sure. Um, so, you know, you just have to work at it. And the thing is, it's temporary, too. Once you Once you knock that debt out, you can have all the cable channels you want. Right. right. If that's what if they, but what I found is a lot of times people cut things out of their life, and then they pay down the debt, and you go, okay, now you're free. You can have that back, and they go, yeah, I, I don't need it. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you don't miss it. You know, I, I can tell you years ago I worked for um, a real estate company before I got sick, and and they paid me lots of money to show up every day. I don't know why, but they, you know, they. They liked me as the real estate manager, the office manager. And uh, when I quit, we went to my husband's income only, and it was a real shock. But I've learned you live within whatever means you have. You yep. learn to do it, and you learn to get by. And so um, I think that, you know, if you, if you can rethink things and look at things differently, you can you can get there. It takes a little while, but you have to have a, a plan and... Um, I think that it's, it's the best thing you can ever do for yourself because once you own things, nobody can tell you what to do. And then once you own things, you got to defend what you own, right? And you guys are big on Second Amendment as well, yeah. and Carrie and I'm very involved in that. Um, in fact, we're going to an NRA dinner on Saturday night. That's awesome. The NRA. Um, I my husband taught me to shoot years ago, and I wasn't big on it. It was like, you know, whatever, it's okay. <laughs> You know, pistols, it was okay. And, um, you know, then he said to me uh, a while back, you know, you really should carry a pistol. You should really get your concealed carry and carry a pistol with you. And I thought, what? That made me do that. (laughs) That was my initial thought. And then, you know, what he said made sense. You know, in this world, I think that everybody should have a concealed carry. Every law-abiding citizen should carry a gun. I think it would stop a lot of the nonsense in the world. I really do. And I think it would send a message to our government that we're not going to put up with it. And, uh, so I 
went and my husband sent me to the concealed carry class and I didn't want to go because I was the only <laughs> girl in there and it was like, oh, don't make me do this. And I did it and I had a really good time and the instructor was amazing. And then I took, uh, we both took an essential pistol class through him. And that was fun. Now, I was kind of expecting, okay, we're going to go to the range and stand there and shoot. That'll be it all day long and how boring can that be? And it was so much fun. We did these drills, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm like in my 50s. I'm a kind of an older lady and not, <laughs> you know, I'm not a tomboy. I'm a girly girl. I didn't really think I would like this, and uh, it was a lot of fun. We shot uh, at targets on different, you know, different drills, and, and uh, they had speed drills. I actually, I think I was second or third in the class out of, 19 or 20 people as far as drawing from the hip and shooting awesome. on target. You know, so, I mean, and we're talking seconds, and it was great. I mean, I didn't think I could do that. Now I have all the confidence in the world. That's what I was going to ask you. How much more confident and comfortable are you walking through life knowing that you can defend yourself now? I am, well, my husband works different rotating shifts, and so, you know, I'm here sometimes by myself, and so I carry a gun. I carry my gun. Oh, I have to tell you, Jack, I got in trouble. <laughs> it was funny because he told me one day we had roofers coming to check, or we had hail, and so there were roofers coming by to check on the house. And he told me, he says, you know, make sure you have your gun with you. Okay. Well, it was up here, but it wasn't on my person. Got you. He told me, and he said, you don't have your gun on you. I said, no. And he's like, what did I say to you? And the very next day on your podcast, you were talking about concealed carry in the home and how you don't leave your gun sitting on, you know, on the dresser no. upstairs and, you know, your gun's downstairs. or It's pointless. It's like having an unloaded gun. So I got in trouble. And your husband yeah. is right. Your husband, you got to listen to him. It's like a non-alcoholic beer. It doesn't work. <laughs> but see, that's the thing about taking a class, too, from, some, from a professional. Women sometimes learn more from other people than they do their husbands. Oh, do you speak the truth there? I do, I know. There is, there, there's an old saying from the Bible, a prophet has no honor in his own country. And it should be a husband has no honor when it comes to teaching his wife new things. And it's not always true, but when as long as it's like, yeah, I would have done that anyway, you just kind of revealed it for me, we're, we're good. When it diverges, it's like, I won't listen to you. I deal with that all the time. You know what got my wife into shooting big time? I had her out shooting twenty twos and and handguns and stuff like that. And one day I put this old Mossberg bolt action sixteen gauge shotgun in her hand. I said it kicks a lot, but it's 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 a cool gun. It's not that big a deal. And we just set some cans on the ground about twenty five yards away. And I thought it might be like really too much for it, but she was like, "Oh, I like this." And I'm like, yeah, my wife rocks. <laughs> so, husbands, you can learn from this stuff. Take your wives shooting, even if they're reluctant at first, and, and keep working with them till you find what, what gets them excited and moving. And, and, and to me, like, one of the things, I had the same conversation your husband did with you about you need to be caring. And my wife was always like, why? Who's going to do anything to me or, or whatever? And while we were living in Pennsylvania, 
she was a social worker for the Salvation Army for a while. Kind of as really like a volunteer job she did. She wanted something to do, and then they, they offered her a little bit of a salary, so she took it and worked part-time hours. But she ended up one day, her and this other girl, kind of way in the back, and all the rest of the people are gone. And there's like no way out the back, and this guy, this homeless guy comes in, and he wants help. And he didn't do anything, but when the, the, he started that kind of weird, and when they got this, uh, you know, they have like ranks in the Salvation Army, the major came back and kind of, escorted him out, he ended up, he had about a 12-inch butcher knife in one of these little, you know, like, uh, shopping bags that he was carrying around with him. And it was like, it was a wake-up call. Like, yeah, people might actually want to do me harm. And it's like, yeah, that's how the world works. Exactly. Well, we had that lesson come home for us. We were, um, we had gone to the movie during the day one day. Um, It was a snowy, snowy day. My husband happened to be off, and he was going to date, so we were going to to the movie, and then we were going to go to dinner after that, and uh, it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we went to the movie theater, come out of the movie, and a guy pulled a knife on us, you know, and it's like, what? you know, we both were concealed carry at the time, but, you know, you, you don't want to with the mouth, <laughs> sure. it's, but uh, it all turned out fine, but, you know, you don't think that that's going to happen two blocks from your house. Um, in broad daylight. Now, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe downtown Denver somewhere, mm-hmm. not so nice. That could happen, you know, but not then. And so, um, and I think the other thing, too, that I've learned by concealed carry, by carrying a gun, is that I'm more aware of my surroundings. Mm-hmm. I'm more, I look at people, I look at what's going on in the parking lot, um, I look at people in stores and kind of evaluate, you know, if I feel threatened or what. Just so I'm aware of what's going on, you know, I, I'm not looking to ever do anything, but I just, it, it makes you more aware. You're more aware of your surroundings and um, you just, and I think the other thing you do is, is that you give off a different um, aura, you know, people don't mess with me. Yeah. Even though I look like everybody's mom, people don't mess with me. Because no, because you're you're absolutely right. When you know you can defend yourself, you walk with a confidence. And I've seen interviews with criminals that they've asked them, how did you pick your victims? And they usually say, one form or another, they look like a victim. Mm-hmm. right? And then when I see somebody that doesn't look like a victim... Not going there because I don't know. I also saw John. I don't know if you know of John Stoss so much, but he's one of my favorite people in the world. I saw him do an interview with a bunch of really hardcore criminals in the New, New Jersey, one of the New Jersey state penitentiaries. And he asked him, he said, Are you afraid of the police? And they said, I'm afraid of getting caught by the police, but I'm not afraid of the police. And he said, What are you afraid of? He said, A homeowner with a gun. Because mm-hmm, exactly. he'll shoot me. He won't read me my rights, tell me to stop. He'll shoot me, and I know it. That's what will happen if you come in the door in the Harrington household and uninvited. <laughs> so if you go in the Harrington, Harrington or the Spirigo household uninvited, you're leaving horizontal. You're on the list of horizontal homes. Yep, and it isn't, <laughs> it's going to be heavy who can do it. <laughs> I may look innocent and mommy-like, but, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. And I think all women, you know, I, I read these stories and it, it just breaks my heart. There were two gals up in, um, up in Fairplay, Colorado. They were... Uh, Geographers. They were doing maps for the area, and this has been maybe two years ago, two summers ago, and they separated. One was going to go one way, the other was going the other way, and they were walking along uh, a creek, and and happened. This one happened on this this deranged homeless man, and he killed her. Oh man! All she got out was she got a radio, you know, her radio out, called for help, and that was it. Wow! And it just makes you sad. It's like she had no defense. 
you know, I'm sorry, I'm walking around out there, I'm going to be packing. You know, it's like, no, you're not going to mess with me. You know, it's, it's, there's too many places up in the mountains that it's, it's isolated and it can happen. Yeah. You know, I always carry a gun at the bug out location. Always, always, always. Absolutely. We do too. <laughs> we have lots of bad critters. We have bears that have come to the door. And so I, I'm always prepared. And I think that everybody should do that. I really do. I think women should especially, you know, I, I don't think you need to be afraid of guns. They can be such a good thing. You know, there was a story that I'll never forget. I was I was a very, very young man living in Jacksonville, Florida when this happened. It was somewhere down around the Orlando area or something like that that this went on. And this was before Florida got wise and allowed concealed carry. So this lady was actually convicted of carrying illegally, but she wasn't convicted of shooting the guy. Her boyfriend had given her a twenty five automatic she had in her purse. And a guy tried to rape her, and she basically feigned and, and just acted like she was going to let him pull it off so she could get the gun out. And as he pushed her to the ground, she pressed it to his forehead and shot him. And because it was only a twenty five, the guy ended up basically like a vegetable, but it didn't kill him. And there was a big story in the paper, and even as a little kid I remember this, she was asked by this, this prosecutor, or the maybe it was a civil case, I don't remember the exact, but did she have any regrets? And this guy's sitting in a wheelchair and, you know, can't get up or whatever, and she said, yes, I wish my boyfriend would have gave me a thirty eight, he'd be dead. <laughs> and I was thinking, I'd love to, I can't find this lady's name, I'd, I'd like to resurrect that story. That's from about, probably almost 30 years ago now. But I understand the sentiment perfectly, and if you're right, if more women were that way, there'd be less crime, because women are often the victims of these crimes. Well, I think, too, that once this man perpetrated this crime, he lost his right. I'm sorry. You don't get you any. Can, you, you know, you, you, you've done this too bad. I'm sorry. I, I don't feel any remorse for you. Um, you know, you shouldn't have been doing this to begin with. Uh, law-abiding citizens don't do those kinds of things, and if you're not going to live within the law, then... Well, guess what? You might get consequences. You might end up being a vegetable in a wheelchair. <laughs> I'm kind of harsh, but, you know. You know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy as far as I'm concerned. I mean, this is back, to give you kind of the state of affairs in Florida, this is back when Ted Bundy was running around and uh, Adam Walsh's son had, this is right around the time that Adam Walsh's son uh, was murdered, the guy that does uh, America's Most Wanted today. This was a bad time in Florida, so there was a lot of that stuff going on. But it was things that started to happen like this and they the government down there started to get things together. They were one of the first states to pass a concealed carry law, and it really turned that state around a lot. I mean, you had the, 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 the drug influence and everything else, and it's not, there, there's still bad places in Florida, like there's bad places in Colorado, there's bad places in Texas, but a lot of it's turned around when the citizen now can defend himself. Right. I, I, just, we've kind of been there for a while, and, and we're actually getting toward the end here, but I mean, let's think about this. You guys have this little half-acre lot just in a place a little bit outside of Denver. Um, you've got chickens. You'd have goats if the township people were wise enough to let you do it. Uh, you're producing hundreds of pounds of food for yourself every year. You're, you're canning stuff out of the wild. Uh, you've got your chicken fl- flock. You, you guys are armed and ready to defend yourself. You're prepared. If the lights go out for a while. It'll suck, but you can get by. What would you tell the person that's kind of just like new to this whole concept that's thinking, boy, I wish I could do this? Well, first thing you got to do is not compare yourself to everybody else. You know, I, I, we, we laugh because we kind of go, well, see, we're not the Deveas family. We wish we were. <laughs> you know, they grow tons of food. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the thing that you should do is start. Take a plan and start. You know, start learning the old crafts. Learn how to can. 
learn how to sew, learn how to make bread. And I'm not just talking about women. I'm talking about guys, too. You know, you need to be able to help provide um, whatever it takes. You know, the Internet and your libraries are just chock full of books. You know, that's how I've learned how to do all these things. I read books. I learn. It's, it's the way you do stuff. Um, get on the forum. Ask questions. If there's something you don't know how to do, ask. Uh, you know, I, I felt for this one guy who was on the forum the other day. He wrote in about, uh, I live in an apartment and I can't even have house plants. You know, how can I have a garden? And first thing popped in my mind, community garden. Go find sure. a different lot. You know, see what you can do there. And I went back into answer, and somebody beat me too. It was just that exact same answer. I thought that's that's exactly what you do. If you can't do it on your land, look around, get some other people together. You know, start bartering with people. I think that that would be a good thing if you can, you know, make friends with your neighbors and find out what you can do to help each other. Um, we have helped our neighbors to the west of us. <laughs> he actually put in a garden this year because he so you know thought our garden was so awesome and. We've had a lot of fun with them. They're they're uh, young and have young kids, and you know they've been growing all these things. And, and uh, you just kind of try and pass it on, but don't compare yourself. Just take your plan and start working at it. You know, start doing press. Start, uh, you know, paying your bills off. Try and get rid of as much as you can, and then you can start paying your house off. If you don't have, you know, credit cards you're paying for, you can take that extra money and slam it to the principal. Mm-hmm. You know, and get rid of it. Um, I think that's about all I would say. I, I can't think of anything else that I, you know, I, I think that. But the overriding message there is: don't think you can't because you can. Right. You just have to pick a place to get started, right? Right, and don't think you can't do it because you live in a suburban, you know, lot that, you know, postage stamp. You can still do stuff. You can, you know, there's lots you can do. You just have to start doing it and stop saying, "Well, one of these days when we get a bigger place, mm-hmm. you know." You know, you just make do with what you have and get creative. And you'd be surprised how creative you can get. It's amazing what you do when you get in the game. I mean, that's the first thing is most people are staying. Well, most people aren't even on the sidelines watching the game. They're like kind of out in left field just wandering around aimlessly, not aware there's even a game going on. But as soon as you become a participant, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you just start to find opportunities. And it's what people call luck. They say, well, you know, your husband was lucky because he found that house. Well, he was looking you know, that's what it comes down to is he was observing, his eyes were open. And your story about how he found that reminds me, when we found our place in Pennsylvania, I was traveling. I had taken a job, and I was on the road about five days a week. Honestly, I'd come home Friday night. And uh, we were staying with my father, and my wife was looking for a house while I was traveling. She calls me, and I'm in the Pittsburgh airport connecting on a plane going to uh, Boston. And I'm walking through the terminal, and I answer the phone, and all I hear, not, hello, how are you? I found her house! I found her house! And I'm like... Really? What's it like? And she's like, the views are amazing. You can see everywhere, and it's an acre, and there's a pool, and there's a beautiful garden. You're going to love it so much. I said, what's it like inside? I don't know. I haven't been in there yet. (laughs) But when you know, you know. And I think that's the, like, sometimes people are always looking for that 40 acres, you know. And, and, And maybe you need to, like, understand how you can make what looks like a disadvantage into an advantage. Um, Like I say, use what you have. You know, become creative. It's not that hard. I have pots of herbs all over outside. Um, we're actually going to dig up our front yard, or at least part of it, next year and plant more. I would like more herbs. I've been learning about herbal antibiotics and things like that. Very cool. I want more of that. And so we have no space left. Everything else is filled up. So, you know, he said, well, boy, what if we dig up this part? And I said, okay, it works for me. I don't care what the neighbors think, you know. And uh, 
I mean, it'll still be pretty. It'll still be green. It'll still be stuff, but, you know, it won't be the typical suburban front yard lawn. And, uh, I, and I since you ain't going nowhere anytime soon, there's no reason to worry about it. That's, you know, not unless I have to bug out, and then I'm going someplace I know that's all set up for me. So gotcha. I, I think that, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been uh, a great interview. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Barb. Um, it, it's an inspiring story, and, and what I want people to understand is this is one couple that did this, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of people that are doing the same thing every day, and there's no reason... Uh, that you can do it too. And that's a big part of why I do the survival podcast. It's not just about having a bunch of food stored up. That's a, that's a tiny component of a self-sufficient lifestyle. It's more about all that wisdom that our grandparents left for us and how you can incorporate it into your life today, even if nothing goes wrong. And Barb, thanks for being here today. Do you have any kind of last thoughts for everybody? I think just keep encouraging each other. I, um, I am just amazed at the forum how people are just encouraging and how sweet they all are. Um, I, I was really encouraged one of the first times I read through, I saw something from Sister Wolf that was just, her words were kind, and I thought, wow, these people are nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we really want to be part of Dirt Time 10. We've been talking about that already. So, Well, it's going to be in Wyoming, so it's, uh, it's going to be less of a haul for you than me. Yes. But it'll be exciting. So um, just encourage each other, help each other. You know, if you have questions, get on the forum and ask. People are willing to help. And uh, I, you know, I wrote to a woman this morning. Said she said, "I don't know how to can." I said, "I'm a canner. Ask away." You know, I I love to can anything and everything. So very cool. But well, thank you for letting me be on your show. I really oh well, well it. thank you for being here. We'll probably be getting you back on in the future. And, and folks, you're, like I said, you're probably listening to this on a Monday while I'm up in New York, and I'm going to tell you honestly, Barb, I, I really appreciate you being here. It's going to be hard for me not to publish this thing before I leave and to leave it for that because I really want to get this on the air for folks. Uh, but uh, that's that's when we're actually going to do it. I appreciate you showing up today, and folks. Um, I hope this encourages you as well. If um, if you have a story of your own like that and you'd like to come on here and be a guest, you don't have to have a book to hawk or a show or, or anything like that or even a blog. I mean, if you just want to tell people what you've done and, and, and encourage them and, and share what's going on, please do this. That's what this show's all about. This show's all about you, the listener. I'm just the guy that keeps the ball in bounds for you so that we can keep on keeping on. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. And today I've been here with Barb Harrington from Mavarda, Colorado. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Sometimes you get tough, or even if they don't. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, because it all gets spent.